1973, a group of indigenous artists formed a collective. The press called them the Indian Group of Seven. Their goal? To raise the profile of indigenous art. It was all or nothing. We're representing all our people. And create a permanent space in galleries for indigenous artists in Canada and around the world. That was really a rock star moment for me. I'm Soleil Lunier, and this is Among Equals, the history and legacy of the professional native Indian artists, Inc. Listen wherever podcasts are heard. Art Slice is a different dive into art history. We goof around, we curse, you learn from it, but don't expect a typical lecture. You're welcome. Hey listeners, Stephanie here. Just wanted to give you all a heads up. We will be releasing our very first t-shirt just in time for Halloween. Featuring Las Tres Witches, Kati Orna, Remedios Barro, Leonora Carrington, and, you guessed it, Hyenas. I gave it away, Russell. Don't look at me like that. Keep a disembodied eye <laughs> out for that. Oh my god, that's so bad. Keep a disembodied eye out for that on our Instagram page at ArtSlicePod or our website at ArtSlicePod.com. All right, on with the show. Welcome to Art Slice, a palatable, for some, (laughs) serving of art history. I'm Stephanie Duenas. I'm Russell Shoemaker. Listeners, if you are just joining us, we are an art history podcast. But we're not your daddies. Really? You really (laughs) want another review? We're not your daddies, art history podcast, Stephanie. We're having fun. We're sitting below (laughs) Chili Lights. Listeners, you are the Chili Lights above us. The sparkling stars in our night sky. Stephanie, what are we talking about today? Well, Russell, I am so glad you asked. Okay. (laughs) We are about to traverse all of your favorite art movements. Okay. And no te va a gustar, but hang in there. Okay? Okay. Trust me. Okay. We've got some post-Byzantine. Okay. A little renaissance. Uh, I see where this is going. Some mannerism. Yep. So... (laughs) Can't even look at me. These are not my favorite art movements. Okay, so we will be discussing the Annunciation from 1597 Mm. by El Greco, a.k.a. the Greek and Espanol. El Greco loco. (laughs) Oh, yes. I love it. I love it. And yes, we will get to his reputation. But first, listeners, if you're new to Art Slice, Russell and I are both artists. But often, when we look at work, especially older work, like the one we are discussing today, we are looking at it as artists, not just from a historical standpoint, which may be why Russell always looks a little lost, a little sleepy in this Uh, section of the museum. Well, (laughs) Stephanie, when I go to a museum, I've planned out my day. I put my little art socks on, you know? (laughs) The little art socks that I wear. Oh, okay. And I, with full intention of those art socks being blown off of me <laughs> by some beautiful work, I want to reach okay. into the work, Stephanie. Okay. Reach in there, mm-hmm. deep in there, pull out mm. a little a little nugget, a little art nugget <laughs> that I can take home a with nugget? me. Put, yeah, a little art nugget. Put it in my okay. front shirt pocket. Okay. All right. Take it home with me. Put it in my studio drawer for later. That's really hard to do <laughs> in these like... Rococo, uh, naked babies floating on sensitive columns. Like, what, what do I do with that? <laughs> what do I do with that? Um, you don't. It's really hard <sighs> to do that. It's really hard Thank to you. find that kind of inspiration nugget. Thank you. 
in this part of the museum, totally. But it can happen. Okay. It can happen. It can happen. Yeah, I, I, think, I agree with you. It I can. think El Greco is one of those artists. Okay. El Greco was basically forgotten about until the 19th century, and it was a big deal when he was rediscovered. Mm. If you were an artist looking for more than what the art mainstream had to offer, you didn't have much to look to, <laughs> especially if you were growing up in the early 20th century, like one of our favorite artists, but also several other artists we have already covered here on Art Slice. So they, they all liked the Greco. Yes, the Greco <laughs> was the weirdo they were looking for, right? He blew their art socks off. Okay. 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 So his work helped shape modern art as we know it today. I'm curious, what what don't you like about the work from this time period? I mean, so, okay, I f- first of all, find a lot of it pretty, it's pretty gaudy. Okay. It's kind of awful to look at. Okay. It's kind of like, stay with me here, if okay. you fell asleep in a cheesecake factory <laughs> and the employees didn't catch you, oh right, God. and then you wake up at like 2 a.m. and all the lights are oh out, that's the vibe I get. I mean, there, there are exceptions, wow. right? Especially around that like <laughs> mid-late Renaissance period, everything just gets... Just gets wow. Oof. Just gets oof. You've just you've set a vibe, a very specific vibe. Okay, so you might actually be turned off by the work that was made in response to the Protestant Reformation, aka the Counter Reformation. The big rebrand. What? The big rebrand. The big Catholic Church rebrand. Okay. <laughs> yeah, the Council of Trent uh, advertising agency come <laughs> in, help them to identify their core principles. Okay. All right. So we have a lot of competition from the Protestants right now, but also, how are we going to break into this hot new Aztec market we've been hearing about? Hmm? Hmm? Let's do some brainstorming, okay? Let's look for some synergy besides <laughs> turning heretics into bloody sacks of melted organs. Oh, what the fuck? We're going to find out what resonates, what value. Do we offer the community uh-uh. Catholic Church? I don't like this. Everybody loves art. We're brainstorming. I love it. I love it. Okay. I love it. All I right. love it. Okay. I love it. So listeners, Russell is referring to the Roman Catholic Church. Oh, we're thinking uh, RC Square. Just just mull that over. This is part of the rebrand. You like, I, I kind of have an ad agency voice, right? You really do. Okay, right. And I'm all cool, about cool. acronyms, so I'm all for this RC Squared business. The Roman Catholic Church counter-reformation sort of branding okay. to win back those people. People that might be, you know, a little bit Protestant curious, you know, Ooh. or yes, to convert Mesoamericans. <laughs> convert yeah. with pain. I said, air quotes. <laughs> yeah. And actually, side note, listeners, the Spanish, whom we are referring to here specifically, invaded and colonized Mexico, Central and South America, as well as several other countries, not just Mesoamerica. And while there was limited freedom for artists, even before the Counter-Reformation, you might still see some Roman or Greek stories depicted, like Botticelli's mm. Venus, for example. It predates the Counter-Reformation by a few decades. RC Squared had become basically an oligarchy, mm. and those with money and power could leverage the oligarchy to do whatever they wanted. Sounds a little familiar. A little bit, a little bit. <laughs> And the Protestants did not like this. They didn't care for it. So RC Square decided to crack down on the Protestants and do a huge rebrand mm. in architecture and art to inspire the people. Get them on board the brand. Exactly. Yeah. Anything, anything otherwise, right? Anything depicting, quote, carnal desire, end quote, I was mean, gone. Sexy pics of uh, BDSM Jesus, no, though. No, totally no, no, fine. No. Totally fine. Uh well, I guess in their terms, yes. The more pain and agony, so the dirty better. Dirty birds, Spanish inquisitors, they love 
loved it. Oh, they loved okay. it, Steph. All right. So also submissive images of the teenage mm. Virgin Mary. She was a big part of the rebrand. Double trouble. Get the gals on board, but also let them know their place. Let them know their place. Right. So Subservient. She, yeah. So Mary, a teenager at, at, anyway, she was a teenager and she became a woman, but whatever. So she was basically the symbol of a devoted woman, right? What mm-hmm. every Catholic woman should strive to be. The Virgin Mother of the Savior, Jesus Christ. That's right. <laughs> okay. This was seen as a way to re-inspire those who were already attending church, mm. but also seen as a way to convert the indigenous people in Mesoamerica. So listeners, if you remember Diego's Detroit Industry murals, they were meant to inspire everyone from the illiterate to the highly educated, right? Inspire them to follow a certain path. For Diego, that was equal rights in a communist utopia. Paintings are a great way to tell a story, as we have seen, but depending on who is in control, it can be used to push a certain agenda. For RC Squared here, it was to make sure everyone buckled down, obey the law, didn't question the church, and believed in the correct God. So, Russell... Stephanie. That is why you see a lot of the same imagery during the 15th and 16th centuries. All that JC. And this is what... El Greco was born into. So in order for him to survive as an artist in this environment, he would have had to find a way to be creative, to stand out as an artist, mm. while depicting basically the same thing as every other artist, right? That which was in line with the narrative of the Roman Catholic Church. RC squared. Yes. Don't let me forget. And listeners, as a reminder, you can find all the images we discussed today on artslicepod.com or some of the images on our Instagram page at artslicepod. All right. Buen provecho. All right, Stephanie, set the stage for me and the listeners at home. We're we're their little ear buddies. Hey, ear buddies. Stephanie is going (laughs) to set the stage for you. She's going to explain to you and me what we're seeing, what we're feeling, what the energy is like. What what are we tasting? What are we doing? Listeners, it's probably the mid-1920s. And we have a young Maria de los Remedios, Alicia Rodriguez Varo y Uranga. Not going to fall for that on the third time. That is Remedios Varo. <laughs> it is. That's right. Fan favorite, art slice favorite. Our favorite. Varo feels a cool rush of air as she and her dad crossed the threshold into El Museo Nacional del Prado or the Prado Museum, which holds one of the world's largest art collections, including painters like Hieronymus Bosch, Francisco Goya, Diego Velasquez, and El Greco. She had been anticipating this visit all week, so much so that she had a hard time focusing on school. But truth be told, that was a daily struggle for her. They made their way through the galleries, their footsteps echoing within the cavernous walls. Painting by painting, step by step, Varro was kind of bored by the artworks, and after a while, they all kind of blended together. That is until a particular painting caught her eye. Her jaw dropped slightly. Its bright and bold colors emanated from the canvas, the figure's contorted bodies overtaken by an unknown force. Varro recognized the story as it was from the Bible, a text she studied in convent school. Rather than being disappointed, she was in awe of how such an interpretation of a biblical story could seem so inspiring. Countless visits to the Prado in her youth and moments like these stayed with Varro for the rest of her life, and their influence is apparent in her work. Okay, listeners, as you may have guessed, 
El Greco was Greco? not his birth name. It's not, it's not his birth name? No. It was Domenicos de Autocopolos. Look, I just rolled off my tongue. Yeah, I love good it. job. A little flex there. All right, a little bit. All right, so Domenicos was born in 1541 in the kingdom of Candia, which today is known as the island of Crete, hmm. the largest of the Greek islands. Doesn't that sound amazing right now to be on a Greek yes, island? Yes, it does. That really, anywhere away from Americans would be great. Thank you. <sighs> right. All right, so Crete had made a name for itself in art. They were known for post-Byzantine icon painting, and Domenicos was trained as an icon painter. Of course, of course. Do you know what this is, Russell? Um, Okay, so icon just means image or a resemblance. So they were painting religious images of Christian figures like Mary, Jesus, the saints, and, you know, your good old... whole gang. Biblical scenes. Yeah, sure. So... (laughs) It was all meant to be used for worship in a church or in your home, all to serve as a reminder of God's presence. So the painters in Crete were painting these icons in the post-Byzantine style, which was a combination of Western and Eastern European elements. And they used your typical medium for these kinds of works, right? So tempera and gold leaf on wood. No, we did. We did that one already. I'm just going to give him some cat food, okay? Okay. All right, I'll be right back. Sounds good. Hold on. No, it's gravy. It's extra gravy. Sorry, listeners. They're they're still upset because Bean Bean is still missing. That's right. So Bean uh, apparently mimed to me. The pantry mons mimed to me that Bean. They took their little bindle sack and set off to see the rest of the world. They're a little upset with the last interaction we had. It got, got a little heated. Okay, I guess we'll just talk about all. The pantry mons are missing Bean. Yeah, we are missing Bean. Everyone's missing Bean here. There's a huge bean-shaped hole in our hearts. Well, Bean's not, they're not actually bean-shaped. Kind of like a furry I'm, furry I'm, potato chip. I'm I'm, I'm aware. Just bean, for, I hope you're okay. The, yeah, I'm sure Bean's good. All right, back to the post-Byzantine style. We have an example of Domenico's work here called Dermission of the Virgin, and it's totally in line of what that style consisted of, which was precise outlines, sharp highlights on the figure's faces and clothing, geometric and bright drapery, the figures were stiff and lean. The compositions were balanced, very symmetrical. They were more interested in conveying religious symbolism through a more slightly abstract view of reality. So mm-hmm. they were not trying to paint realistically. But they were painting figures. Yes. They so, were being representational. Yes. So they were being a little more illustrative. Yes. Obviously, they knew that not everybody was... Glossy. Glossy. Glossy and wet. Stiff or... Lean. Well, back then, what are you eating? You're probably eating food that makes you glossy, stiff, and wet. Oh, my God. I mean, what do they eat back then? I like horse hair? What? I don't know. What, what the fuck do they have? I don't know. Olives? I don't know. Yeah, olives. You get Beta? super oily. <laughs> what? Yeah. Hey, there is an island in Greece where people live forever because I'm not saying did I say anything about their life expectancy Stephanie no I said I said they're glossy okay from all the olives that they eat because of the oil so is that why is that why they're painting all the highlights it's hard for him to paint oh my god I love it hands are too greasy it's got rags constantly rags everywhere (laughs) maybe that's why they gave up trying to paint realistically I can't fucking hold this brush in my hand it's just slipping out fire hazard wait olive oil is no all the greasy rags oh right okay so (laughs) 
whether it was because of oil or not, they were just not interested in painting realistically. The religious symbolism meant more to them. Nothing to do with the oil. <laughs> we actually have an example here of one of Domenico's works from this time period. Yeah. It's called The Dormition of the Virgin, Tempera on Gold Panel. You can see here that there are traces of gold leaf because they would paint the background in gold leaf so it looked like everything was floating. Mm. So what we see are all of these stiff figures and wonky architecture just kind of kind of floating. By the time he was 26, Domenico's had become a master at icon painting mm. and he decided to continue advancing his career. He had outgrown what Crete had to offer him. So he knew it was time to move on to the big time, La Repubblica di Venezia, which at this time, listeners, Venice was to artists what Paris or New York City, New York City, New York City would become in a couple of centuries, which were art capitals. Mm. So Venice was it, the big jewel. The big jewel. The big, that's what I'm calling it, the big okay. jewel. Big slippery jewel. <laughs> oh my God. I don't know what to say. I love it. It's olives and fish oil, man. Around 1567, Domenico gets on a boat and sails about 1,000 miles northwest to the Republic of Venice, mm. the big jewel. Beautiful, shimmering, glittering Venezia. He's got his portfolio and his trusty brushes with him. He's ready to learn and ready to make mm. his mark on the art scene. Listeners, let me set the stage for you because we have a couple different overlapping art movements happening. First is the Italian Renaissance, which was all about painting things as they appeared in real life, mostly. So emphasizing linear perspective and anatomically correct figures, complex compositions, light, ideal beauty, and usually this was within the form of altarpieces or frescoes. No, we did that one too. <laughs> We did that one too, yeah. The cat food. It's good. Try it. Put a, I put some stuff there some for Some cat them. food? Yeah. Do they like that? They don't like the... I mean, they want the, the art, but, you know, cat food when, when necessary. They, but they'll eat it, right? Yeah. Okay, good. Yeah. Does that have extra gravy? Yeah, I always get the extra gravy. It's, and then I make gravy to put on top of the gravy. All right. And Venice had its own flavor of Renaissance, which was characterized by loose brushwork, an interest in light that is reflecting off a surface or atmospheric light, basically mood lighting. And they were also especially inspired by that one of a kind mm -hmm. Venetian light. There was also a focus on the harmony of colors. And these paintings would often have a texture to them because they used the rough weave of the canvas, which was especially apparent since they used thin layers to paint. So where the Renaissance at this point emphasized proportion and balance and ideal beauty, mm. a.k.a. well-proportioned Caucasian men and women. Yeah. Man, <laughs> are you a well-proportioned Caucasian man? Uh, well, my torso is a little long and my arms are a little short, so maybe not. So you don't fit into that. You don't check that box. Well, I might fit into mannerism. Maybe. Right. Okay. Thank you. So mannerism, on the other hand, is a little bit disorienting. Okay. So figures are exaggerated. They have small heads, long arms, long torsos. They're very stylized. Their poses are kind of like that of fashion models, high fashion models. So very dramatic, unnatural, mm -hmm. and dynamic. Painful. They're... <laughs> 
sounds like it, but, but you know, the figures, they're really leaning into it. They're really, okay. they're really leaning into their looks. Well, that's because you don't hear all the <laughs> snapping and cracking. Okay, all right. There is a lack of perspective and the compositions are asymmetrical, so they're <laughs> not balanced. Mannerism was a reaction to the Renaissance. Perfection had been achieved by the masters, including Michelangelo. There's no point in trying to achieve what's already been done, right? right? It's not like the Pope was going to let you repaint the Sistine Chapel, <laughs> right? So be crazy Stephanie. Totally. Crazy. Crazy. crazy With a K. Why not get experimental, right? Why not go crazy? At least what was considered crazy for the time. Listeners, we are looking at an example of mannerism. We are looking Mm -hmm. at Madonna with the long neck. Madonna is in the Virgin Mary, not like Madonna the singer. I know she comes up here once in a while. This work is by Parmigianino Mm -hmm. from 1534. Russell, would you like to explain to the listeners what we're looking at? Well, we're looking at a long baby, Stephanie. Thanks for asking me. (laughs) And then Madonna has an enormous lap to hold said long baby. Gotta have a big lap for a long baby. Okay, makes sense, <laughs> right? You're going to have a baby that long, you have a big lap. <laughs> okay. Despite their odd proportions, the figures are still painted realistically, which to me makes their disproportion look yeah, even creepier. But one thing I do love about mannerism is the mannerism hand. Yeah. I guess there's several of them. Stephanie's making some mannerism hands at me. It's your two, so you spread out your fingers. That's like the Spock thing, I think. No, it's not. It's gross. So you, sorry, I'm like alienating <laughs> listeners. <laughs> Look, Star Trek is cool. Yeah. You put your two middle fingers together and then spread out the other ones. You yeah. have a man. It's one totally example. normal. Anyway, listeners, while we haven't formally introduced him here in the art slice of verse yet, Michelangelo was a superstar of the Renaissance and a forerunner mm. of mannerism. So he was exaggerating the human form a bit. So the mannerists took that and ran with it. <laughs> they, yeah, they went a little wild with it. The best example we have of these two art styles, so the Venetian Renaissance and mannerism melding, is the Venetian painter Titian. Okay. And Domenicos would have been surrounded by his work in Venice. He, he was a superstar of Venice, yeah. Titian. And you can see his influence on Domenicos after his arrival in Venice. Titian's figures were elongated, but they were not as extreme as the Madonna with the long neck. Big big lap, big baby. Not... <laughs> not Subtitled quite. by Russell. <laughs> Stop. Big lap for, for a long baby. Okay. Not quite. Gotta, they... ha- gotta have a big lap for a long baby. That's what it says on the back of the, of the VHS cover. Oh, you know... All right. So to me, his figures just seem tall. Like, wow, that is a tall human. Yeah. They may or may not be a basketball player. Yeah, maybe. (laughs) Okay. So Domenico's is trying to figure out his next steps. He has honed his style a little bit more. He's adapted some Ren and Manny traits into Mm. his paintings. Domenico's is wondering if maybe Venice isn't the place for him. Hmm. Eventually, Domenico's meets fellow painter Giulio Clovio, who had some okay. connections. He had some connections. He had okay. he had a hookup in Rome. We are looking at a portrait of Giulio by Domenico's. And Russell, do you want to describe the painting we're looking at? It's a man. He seems very proud of his little book. He's pointing at it. Yes. Like, this is my little book. Giulio was a manuscript painter. He was a miniaturist. That's his actual, that's his masterpiece. Okay. Right there. Little tiny he's, one. He's very proud of that. Yeah. Little t- teeny tiny masterpiece. Shows, shows it to all the rats. <laughs> what? It's like their little museum. They got a little rat museum. You know, put a little hat on the rat. Okay. A little gallery opening. With some, Is there white and cheese? cheese. <laughs> Stop. I don't think rats are welcome this time in history. Now, Giulio knew that Domenico's was kind of eccentric. Okay. For example, Domenico's had been quoted as saying, quote, 
I paint because the spirits whisper madly inside my head, end quote. <laughs> madly. Yeah, it's like nonstop whispering. <laughs> well, and it gets weirder. Julio reportedly visited Domenico's studio on a hot summer's day. Mm. <laughs> and he said that he found Domenico sitting in a darkened room. Because it's hot out? No. No, no, no. He found the darkness more conducive to thought than the light of day because that disturbed his inner light. Okay. 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 I like that. I like, and so, there, you know what? I like <laughs> this man. I'm starting to, I'm starting to do a little turn on the Greco. Yeah. Don't forget the olives he's snacking on. Yeah, that too. Regardless of all of this, Julio, he had some powerful connections. Okay. So he gets Domenico's in this fancy palazzo in Rome that was designed by Michelangelo. So Domenico's is invited to stay there. In 1570, Domenico's rolls into Rome, and you would think that he would just be marveling at all of the ancient ruins or eating gelato. Gelato! But no, Russell, instead, he shows up, guns a-blazing, mm. and starts trash-talking Michelangelo. Okay. Was Michelangelo alive at this point? Um, It had been a few years, like less than a decade, like but it was he'd only been alive recent. for a few... Like he died. Did a few you? Years oh, I'm, no, he had died a few years prior, less than a decade, but it was still. Pretty I mean, he's like going in there trash talking a baby. I don't know. What? A little baby. Fuck him. Oh fuck that God. little Michelangelo baby. No, uh, don't say that. He can't even hold a paintbrush. He's got little baby hands. I mean, he's a long <laughs> he's... baby, but oh, okay. abnormal reach. That's okay. all I gotta say. Got to put stuff up really high. You don't want the baby to get to them. Okay. I don't like whose house are we at? The long, long baby's house. Long anyway, baby's go, house. Go. So when Domenico's was asked about Michelangelo. His response, eh, he's probably a good guy, but he didn't know how to paint. So <laughs> keep in mind, he is saying this about the Michelangelo, right? Yeah. The man who designed the palazzo that he's staying in, who painted the Sistine Chapel, who chiseled the naked Davide out mm. of marble. Mm. That Michelangelo. He also offered the Pope, the head of the RC double squared. No, 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 I no double it up. squared. It's RC squared. Oh, thank you. RC it's squared. RC squared. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, thank you. He offered to repaint the Sistine Chapel <laughs> to paint over Michelangelo's <laughs> ceiling. He's like, hey, Papa, don't you think this is a little too decadent? I I can do it better. Me. I can I do like, it better. I like the guns emblazoned. He's like, me and my inner light, we're gonna we're gonna take a crack <laughs> at it, Papa. Also, also, offer on the table, I'll I'll rechisel David. Rechisel David. Make him longer. <laughs> go once, go on time. Come on, Pope. You're lost, Pope. Papa. You're lost. All right. All right. Go, so, go I'm gonna go blaze my guns elsewhere. Needless to say that um they did not take him up on his offer. Okay. Domenico's brazen attitude <laughs> starts to catch up with him, and it eventually gets him kicked out of the palazzo, but not before he got into a fight with a cardinal. Not not a bird. Yeah, I know. Catholic, a Catholic, Catholic, Catholic cardinal. RC cardinal. squared cardinal. Yes. The RC squared brandy right. clothing, just like pelting him with olives. <laughs> oh. uh, All right. Needless to say, listeners, Domenico's rep is tainted in Rome. Mm. He'd had a solid connection through Giulio, and now he's fucked it up. He's fucked it. He's like calling him up on the phone. Giulio. <laughs> I fucked it up, Giulio. I, I got to tell you, I, 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 ooh, I let a stinker on this one, bud. I really appreciate Stop. it, but ooh, boy. All right. It is clear that he is a loose cannon, and he wasn't quite fitting in. <laughs> he's already an outsider, right? He's a foreigner, and he's an artist. He is struggling to find his place in the world. He was still looking for his big break. Let's take a break from the drama and discuss what his work is actually looking like now. So unlike other Cretan artists who left the island and moved to Venice... 
He was confident enough to adapt his style in order to distinguish himself. In Venice, he learned how to organize multi-figured compositions, how to depict color while also executing it with a looser brushwork. In Rome, he begins incorporating dramatic perspectives and angles that are echoed in his figures, which at this point were twisting and turning in a very dramatic way. And while he hated on Michelangelo, he was still influenced by him. It was kind of inevitable. So he takes all of these influences and leans into what makes him unique, right? Mm. AKA, he takes that bravado and that... (laughs) I guess so, throw them in there. And that eccentricity, and he begins to manifest it in his paintings. And keep in mind, he heard spirits speaking to him. He thought he should repaint the Sistine Chapel. (laughs) He fully believed that. He fully believed he was sent by God to earth, to paint. He just saw the world in a different way. And it's around this time that you begin to see him embrace the weird in his work. His style begins to develop into what he is known for today, Mm. but it doesn't happen in Italy. Okay. Okay. Does he go back to Greece? No. Land of the Olives? He never goes back to Greece. Oh, where does he go? Let's find out. So, Domenico's, he mm. heard about a new opportunity, a clean well, slate. Stephanie? Yes. When the R squared Jesus closes a door, <laughs> he opens a window. So, the king of Spain was building a huge, and I mean huge <laughs> monastery just an hour north of Madrid. By car listeners, it would have taken a lot longer back then. Yeah. And this monastery <laughs> had all of these rooms, like so yeah. many. So the king needed to fill them with art. And better yet, this king was known to collect Titian, mm. right? That Venetian Renaissance artist that Domenicos was highly influenced by. Okay. So guns a-blazing, he Guns a-blazing. If this king likes Titian, he's definitely just going to be blown away by yeah. my work, you know, being that I'm better than Michelangelo and all. Yeah. So the king wasn't, he was not king. very impressed, yeah, not so impressed. by Domenico's. Okay. It's like, get out. Yeah. Get out. Take your weird paintings and get out. Throw a couple of olives out of me as he's on his way out. <laughs> oh, no. Does everyone just have olives on hand? Yeah. Or is it that he left them because he was snacking on them? And no, like, no, no, no. Okay. Well, maybe the seeds. Oh, the pits? He's spitting out the pits. Maybe ah, that's why they don't that's like gross. El Greco. He leaves a he's trail a of pit pits. Leaver. <laughs> Classic like, pit lever. That's disgusting. Despite this rejection, things start to work out for Domenico's. And this is actually where Domenico's becomes known as El Greco. Okay, this is, this is it. This yes. is the spot. And the now El Greco settles down in Spain in a large city nearby called Toledo. It was filled with new churches. Okay. They were looking for altarpieces. Okay. And it okay. was filled with people who wanted the RC Squared branded artworks in their homes. So finally, things start to look up for him. I mean, I think probably due to the name change, right? The Greco. <laughs> That's easy to remember. What was his name before Dominicus Papalopagus or something? <laughs> Like he had, you know, he had a rebranding of his own. He's like, he's like, okay, I gotta rebrand my image, something catchier, something. Uh, he's just the Greek. Nobody knows. He comes his from real an name. island, Stephanie. We don't know his he name. He comes from an island. He Have you been to an everywhere. island? He leaves his pits where they fall. <laughs> He's from an island. That's what the islanders do. They're assuming. Listeners, I'm not saying I think this. 
I don't think Islanders leave their pits anywhere. I think they throw them away like a normal person. Maybe put them in a compost bin. We would hope. Anyway, this is where we find the painting that we are going to talk about today. One of many Annunciation paintings that he made. But this one (laughs) is one of my favorites, okay? okay? The Annunciation from 1597. Let's get into it. Let's go. Varro stepped closer, her nose nearly touching the canvas, her eyes meeting a bush adorned with ghostly flames. They led her eye upwards towards the Virgin Mary as she gazes up at the Archangel Gabriel, who brings her a holy message. An angelic orchestra hovers atop a celestial cloud column. More stormy, billowy clouds surround them, almost absorbing them. Everything is so close together. Elongated figures, angel wings, clouds, cherub heads. It's hard to place where we are, making it easy to lose yourself in the moment. Stephanie. Russell. We're here. We're at the Art Slice Museum atop the Art Slice Hilltop, surrounded by the formerly candy and condom mode. Formerly? Formerly. Why? The candy wasn't fully sealed. Right. You know, and as it sat in the moat waters, water would get in. Okay. The water started to get kind of sugary. Kind of nasty. A lot, a lot, of, a lot of insects. Uh, a lot. Very nasty. Okay. A lot of in- It was a big surprise for Fred. The moat keeper. Not Tio Fred? No, it was a different Fred. Uh, but we all pitched <laughs> okay. in. We got it cleaned up. And we have the Annunciation by El Grego here. Okay. We pulled the art heist of a lifetime. Isn't that right, uh, Stephanie? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, it yes. Is. Yes, totally. it is. Yeah. Filled with a cast of characters. A couple, I mean, a couple surprise cameos I was not expecting. Okay. Uh, stunts. Right. A really, a really dramatic right. chase scene. Do you remember that? With the Venetian um, opera music playing in the background. It's beautiful. It's uh, beautiful. Oh, boy, <laughs> listeners. Man, I wish, I just wish you could have seen it. But this, I mean, it's, an, it's audio. What are you going to do? It's audio. You can't see it. Now we need to discuss the work and decide, Stephanie, if it belongs in our Art Slice Museum. Keep in mind, listeners, that everything we are going to describe might not seem like a big deal to us today. But remember the whole rebrand. The rebrand. Artists didn't have as much freedom when it came to subject matter. All of the ideas of the Renaissance, like rendering things realistically, El Greco is just kind of thrown out the window. (laughs) This is why a young Varro would have been so taken by these works. The painting is almost like a sudden burst of loud thunder. Okay. It's jolting. I mean, it's kind of supernatural. You don't Mm -hmm. really understand where you are in relationship to the painting, right? There's no sense of space. Mm -hmm. And the composition feels... It feels turbulent. And there are these moments that are still rigid, like in the post-Byzantine work, Mm -hmm. his post-Byzantine work, but they are surrounded by all this jarring movement and these really, you know, for the time, bright colors. Mm -hmm, Right. And we think the reason why the clothing and the figures look so rigid Mm -hmm. is because he worked from wax and wooden models. So the Greco had a wax museum. (laughs) No. Five olives at the door. That's how you get in. (laughs) I love it. I love it. No, but I love it. Well, Abraham Lincoln? No, I love it. Don't ask how he knew about Abraham Lincoln. But no. Okay. So, the Annunciation, this story has been depicted countless times. 
But by the way El Greco paints it, you would think that it's from a big budget movie poster. So let's just take a moment and talk about how strange this is. There is a warped rosebush mm. that seems to be creating that turbulence that you mentioned in the form of smoke that's turning into clouds. And in those clouds, they are forming hundreds of little cherub heads, you know, that are moving so quickly that they seem blurry. <laughs> I mean, this is like, this is one-on-one why you don't set a rosebush on fire. I mean, you think it'd be a nice smelling <laughs> incense, but no, it psychedelically alters the landscape. Uh, yeah, that's what we're it's seeing It's actually here, like a yes. portal bridge between our world and the astral world, if you remember back to Helma. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So listeners, don't set rosebushes on fire, Wink. Unless you want a good time. Encouraging arson. Okay. Unless you want a really good time. Let's not forget about scale here. This is over 10 feet tall and over 5 feet wide. Little Varro at the Prado, like a congregation, would be staring up at this altarpiece, terrified and inspired by the mystery and the drama. So little Catholic Stephanie, Catholic Gothic Stephanie, could you tell us a little bit about the Annunciation? Because I don't really, I mean, I know it from a Protestant perspective. I know it from, you know, a a youth group perspective, but maybe not the Catholic perspective that El Greco would have been painting from. So let's dive into this, dive into the moment that uh, El Greco is showing us here. So we have Mary who's studying, minding her own teenage business, (laughs) wearing her classic Mary colors, which are representing her purity and divinity. Hmm. Uh, her dress is bunched up to emphasize that she hasn't grown into it yet. She's still a teenager. She is a holy <laughs> virgin. When all of a sudden, she's interrupted by the Archangel Gabriel, those freakish cherub heads, and a whole angelic band. She's like, I wish you would have called the head Gabriel. So G- she calls him Gabe. Okay, so okay. Gabe is here to give the good news. <laughs> Mary, you've been selected by the Lord to bear his child, who's actually going to be the savior of the world. And you are already pregnant. Yesterday, you were just a regular teenage girl. And now you're going to be a teenage mom. Congratulations. (laughs) Free will is an illusion, listeners. But she's not mad. She's not mad. She is in awe. Her little mannerist hands are outstretched, Mm -hmm. trying to steady herself. That's because they're they're good for wind resistance. (laughs) So the angelic band was hired by God to provide Mary with a -a one-of-a-kind experience as she receives this heavenly news. They are all nestled in these billowing clouds, right? I see some wind instruments, maybe a cello, maybe a harp, and a couple more instruments that I am not familiar with. Like Mary, because mannerism, all of the bodies in this painting are elongated and unnaturally twisted. Mm. Also like Mary, the band is wearing heavy, stiff robes in jewel-colored tones. I can imagine their wings are kind of dancing along with the rhythm of the music. Yeah, so their wings actually look like real bird wings. They are blurry in some areas, which makes you feel like the wings are in Mm mid-motion while they are still static. So below the angelic stage, the sky has cracked open and a dove is just zooming on out with a burst of light trailing behind it. And then look, Russell, there's a little ray in the shape of a cross. How cute. cute. It's, um, it's, it's dangerous. It looks sharp. That's true. Everything is dangerous in this composition. That's where the little gray cherub faces are forming in the clouds. Yeah, with no bodies, just cherub faces yeah. grouped together it's like very strange. olives. Like olives on a branch, Stephanie. <laughs> like olives on a branch. Ah, they're everywhere. Okay. So... Ooh. 
their features are hard to see because of the physics we have going on here. Back to the turbulence that Russell mentioned, it's also happening here in the center of the composition. It seems like there's like a a rising heat. Mm -hmm. You you could see above a hot pan on a stove. Everything looks really wavy because of that heat coming off of the bush with with the warped flowers, with the warped roses. Right. This is likely the burning bush, listeners. If you didn't grow up in the church like Russell and I did, the burning bush is God's half physical and half astral presence to take it back to Hilma in the form that is both terrifying, but also powerful and comforting. Okay. If you can imagine that yeah. Trinity. See what I did there? Yeah. All right. So <laughs> good, good job. <laughs> I know I bring it up a lot, but this reminded me of the stamping press in Diego's Detroit industry mural. Okay. Like the burning bush was a stand in for another powerful God. Okay. Oh, right, right, right. The Aztec goddess Kuatlikwe. And the roses actually look a lot like the worker's hair <laughs> that just went whoosh in front of the okay. presence of that powerful machine. Okay, so you think he, uh, the bu- the burning bush is maybe a member of the Powerman 5000 as well? No, nope, that's okay. not what I said, right. but you can you can roll with it. Yeah. Like Diego's murals, this was meant to keep people engaged. Your eye can't help but bounce from one thing to the next, and there is a lot going on. Okay, there is this winding composition. There is also that rigidness mm. that we saw in his early post-Byzantine work. If you remember the Dormition of the Virgin, mostly in the figures, but it's all surrounded by this dynamic atmosphere and it creates this uncanny tension. And it's not a real space. It's a psychological space. There's no way it could exist without all these moments of unintentional abstraction, mm-hmm. right? Sure, he's like representing a story, right? But zoom in and it's it's just traveling brush marks, oh, yeah. translucent planes of color. Mm. It's very textural. And because you can feel the physicality of the paint, it adds an emotion to this that you wouldn't just get from the story alone. I mean, look at this little angel's sleeve, okay? It's going from looking realistic to turning into... <laughs> to a brush mark and then just being sucked into the cloud, which is made Mm. by building up thin layers of paint, Right. right? Giving it an effervescence. Renaissance painters would academically paint a cloud, air quotes, <laughs> um, but he's making it tangible. He's reminding you what it actually feels like on a cloudy day. <laughs> the way El Greco uses this combination of shapes with expressive painterly marks, I mean, what does that description sound like to you? Sounds like modern art. Exactly. El Greco was basically forgotten about. His legacy of being that weirdo outsider artist tainted his work until about 300 years later when his paintings started reappearing in museums Mm. and he was rediscovered by all of these artists. I mean, they they stick out (laughs) even today. I mean, you know how not jazzed I am about the (laughs) classical section, right? Russell, you wander in there looking like a fussy lost child. (laughs) I do? Yeah. Like, okay. Anyway, anyway, rude. Uh, I remember catching a portrait of like Mary Magdalene in my peripherals, right? Yeah, you asked me if it was supposed to look this way. Yeah, because she had like an anime head like half of her body <laughs> yeah. was being sucked into a hole in the sky her eyes they looked like they were humming with glossy. like movement Very right glossy. but the rest of her was crystal clear it's almost like the painting was changing tempos like music right in the middle of the canvas and this is what a young Romedios Varro would have experienced at the Prado when she ran into this work and it's in her work you can see the influence mm. right The ghostly light, the static clothing, the different tempos of the paint, the unnatural textures. You can feel the weirdness. And it wasn't just Varro. Think about how little you had to look at at this time. If you were a weirdo outsider who didn't want to do what everybody else was doing, you were looking at El Greco. The Romantics, a group of artists and writers, were some of the first folks to rediscover El Greco's work. 
You can see they share an interest in chaotic, winding, and cinematic compositions. They were also inspired by that same mixture of overwhelming emotions and awe of an uncontrollable power, be it God or nature, just like we've seen in the Annunciation here. When Spanish artists like Ignacio Zuloaga and Pablo Picasso found El Greco's work, they were caught off guard, not only by the ghostly colors and expressionistic brushstrokes, but also that weird tempo with which he painted. Some spaces are very still, some spaces are in movement, which first led Picasso to create his emotionally charged blue period, which eventually became the groundwork for Cubism. Similarly, Cezanne was known to make studies of El Greco's work, like how Van Gogh would make master studies of Hiroshiga's prints. For Cezanne, this ultimately led him to look at the world differently, being unafraid to fragment his landscapes into planes of color, taking the painterly effects of El Greco even further. Expressionism and artist groups like Der Blowreiter loved the psychological atmosphere of El Greco's work. They started to abstract that atmosphere even further, using brush marks in a way that could express the mind's inner emotions, no matter how beautiful, or in Edvard Munch's case, painful it might be. You just don't have modern art without El Greco. So Stephanie, is the Annunciation by the Greco, by the Grego, is it, is it going in the Arts Life Museum? There are qualities to Vara's work that I just don't know if she finds without seeing El Greco in the Prado as a young woman. Right, and, and Varro is our, our spokesperson, our, right. our, our, uh, our mascot. Sure. It's a little freakish. We have a, a Varro like mascot that runs around the museum. It's kind of scary. Uh, we'll have a little bit to... disrespectful, too, honestly, if I'm thinking about it now. Uh <laughs> I mean, we mean it in a respectful way, but it's weird. <laughs> okay. We have like a mascot suit of Varro and, yeah. someone, and someone not Varro is in there just right. pretending to be Varro. Is this Disneyland? No. Okay. It's the Arts Museum. <laughs> oh my God. We have a mascot yeah. running around the museum. Yeah. Why is this news to me? And you would think you could just have someone dress up like Remedios Varro, but no, this is a, this is like a, this is a suit. A big plushy Varro. Yeah. Okay. That's that is offensive. I got a football right. game. That is offensive. Um, surprise, her estate hasn't come after his stop. Listeners, Russell is like cheerleading, just putting his hands up in the air in tandem. Oh. Sometimes she parachutes down. Oh my God! Stop. Sometimes they shoot her out of a cannon. Okay, let's go. <laughs> All right. Well, let me ask you, Russell. Is it going in the art? You're gonna ask me if it's going in the art science museum. Yes. But I just asked you. Uh-huh. But I'm asking you. Okay. Well, this is a little hot potato here. For me, what I actually find so shocking about El Greco's work is just how well it holds up to contemporary painting today. Mm, yeah. They look fresh. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm, I'm very in love with the warpy rose bush. I, I want to <laughs> plant those in my garden. Oh, get the neighborhood talking about us, stuff. <laughs> or the weird house with the smoldering bushes. I think like if, if I were to choose one, I would probably choose the, the view of Toledo. It's, a, it's oh, just right. like a fantastic landscape. Mm-hmm. There's yeah. something about when you take the content away from El Greco that he has to be weirder. He has to paint a little bit weirder. The the landscape's pulsating. Right. Something so ordinary right. as a landscape. Right. But I don't think I would pick this particular El Greco okay. painting to go in, in our Arts Life Museum. Okay. I actually, I agree with you. Whew. 
I so, <laughs> I thought you were going to insist, and then I, and then we were going to have to put it, you know, in, in next to like a water fountain. So in you a, would in like a dark hallway. begrudgingly keep it and then just <laughs> shove it in like a, it's going to end up in a closet somewhere. Yeah, it's okay. a custodial closet somewhere. No, no, no. No, I mean it's a, it's a good painting. I don't I don't, <laughs> I don't want to swing it like that. But this is a tamer work of his, right? His stylistic choices actually get wilder. Believe it or not, listeners, <laughs> this one feels a little more restrained. But this work is a good middle-of-the-road El Greco. I agree. It's a great painting, but it's not one I want to come home to. I want a more art slice one. You want a weirder one? I would like to have some of his weirder works, yes. Okay. Like uh, <laughs> View and Plan of Toledo. Okay, let's see it. <laughs> which has a rogue cloud sitting in the foreground, okay. a ghost boy <laughs> with a ruffle collar. I've not seen this. I love well, it. There's like a drawing of a statue, but it's left... Oh my God! Yes, that's a catamari. What? what the hell Mary is a ca- okay. Catamari. Mary is tumbling in the sky with cherubs uh-huh. attached to her, yeah. like a cat, like a catamari. What is a catamari? A catamari domasi, the video game. I, no. Were you co- okay? Never mind. No. All right. We'll you save know, it. If, okay, the, the two people that know what catamari domasi is are losing their shit right now. Okay. All right, listeners. Uh, that's just a little sneak peek. We will cover this work <laughs> in the future. Yeah, I want this one too. This is great. But Stephanie, I have I have an even better idea. Okay. Okay. All right. Stay with me here. Stay with me. All right. We go back in time. Mm-hmm. Okay. Stick with me. You sticking with me? You with me? Yes. Riding together? Yes. We assassinate the Pope. Uh no. What? We oh, dress what? up like them. Nobody knows, right? And okay. then when El Greco comes in, uh-huh. he's like, "Hey, Papa, let me repaint right. the Sistine Chapel." Uh-huh. Yeah. And we say, "El Greco, I like I like I like the brazen attitude. I like the guns a blazing. Don't like don't care for the guns part. Put put your guns away." All right. Okay. You get half. <laughs> Wait, what? You get half of the Sistine Chapel. You get to oh repaint god. half of the Sistine Chapel. Oh my god. Right down the middle. Oh right my where god. the little the fingers are meeting. The Adam and God fingers are meeting. Uh-huh. You get Adam, you get God, you get to choose oh which my one god. you want. What? You get, you know, we'll split it down the middle. Okay? Okay. I mean, I'm a little worried about the butterfly effect of changing time, changing the history of time, right? Like what what happens? What happens? Isn't this But the, I mean the world's about to like burn to death. So let's roll the dice. Sure. All right. Let's do it. As long as nobody gets hurt, let's do it. Assassinating the Pope in our That's fine. episode, you know. Not... I mean we'll be then we'll replace the Pope. I mean Okay. They won't know. Oh. Shave somebody. <laughs> what? We'll shave somebody no, so they look like the Pope. Shav- no, nobody's shaving nothing. Which <laughs> They didn't have they didn't have razor blades like that back then. It's gonna have a real he's gonna have a real clean shave. It's gonna look nice. Okay. So listeners, that is going to do it for us today. This episode's featured music was A Forest for Me and You by Komiku from the album A Tale is Never Forgotten. So go pick it up, support the work. We will link it in the show notes. Don't forget to share the show with a friend. Leave a five-star written review on Apple Podcasts. Let us know what you thought about the work and join us on Patreon. And no. And no. Your kid could not have painted that. Bye. Bye. Bye.